Every day we hustle in at Pilots and Pictar's Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards Podcast. This is Drew, the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of the podcast. This is Liz. I'm mother of single cat, the spark plug, and keeper of hot takes as I dole them out as I will. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot, critic, and Kenya the podcast. Unfortunately, Hoisters, the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers, is going to sit out this episode. And this is a podcast with nothing much to ado about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. Uh, disclaimer, petard is a word. It is a real word. And petards are bombs. Look it up and read your Shakespeare. Uh, Pilots and Petards is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast network. We would like to thank today's sponsor, the Biden Foundation, for this ad-free listening. So, Dr. Jill Biden, you're welcome, and join us sometime in 2019. And here's a real quick fuck you for Bill Maher for thrashing about the pop culture tar pit like a dinosaur. Contact us to sponsor a show or slander a rival. If you enjoyed today's ad-free listening... Then you owe us, and you can repay your debt by clicking on the link for survey in the show notes. And by doing so, you can win one of two $25 gift cards to the company of your choice. Remember, we need to get 50-plus responses on the survey, and we will give out two $25 gift cards. Uh, the survey is for loyal hosters only, so to be eligible to win, put your name and contact information within the first question. We want honest feedback on the survey, and we will alter Pilots and Pertard's podcast in response to these surveys. So please give us five to ten minutes of your time, and we might just give you 25 bucks. Uh, the random drawing will be January 1st of 2019. So join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the philosophical murder mystery True Detective will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. Welcome back. This is our extended discussion. We are going to continue spoilers running wild for True Detective, the first episode, the bright, the long, bright, dark, the long, bright, dark, very, very cool name. The long, bright, dark first episode. And as always, we're going to start off our filmic analysis with our Crabman Award for any new listeners. This is a character with a small role, but giving large contributions to either the story or our viewing pleasure. I am. Uh, the creepy girl who waved and then immediately Ross is like, do you believe in ghosts? Heavily implying that this girl is a ghost. I was also considering the, the do you believe in ghost girl as well. But I think my, my viewing pleasure was really enhanced by the snitch dude in jail. Which guy was the snitch dude in jail again? The, the only guy they go and interview that was in jail that was... The girl's, um, the dead girl's like ex... He says, I ain't no snitch. He tells them that. Like, I just changed my Crabman Award, and I'm going to do that that cop who was a bad attitude who got slapped in the face. Because that was insane. Like, that doesn't happen at your workplace. And, like, those are cops, too. So, like, it's intense. So, I think that added to Russ being a loose cannon, but a loose cannon in a in a workplace setting. Because you can't do that, man. HR is going to get involved. You can't slap your coworkers. But, I mean, he deserved it. So, I think that for- moved the story forward. It was also in the 90s. I'm sure you could probably slap your i'm pretty sure white cops can slap their co-workers now yeah i was thinking <laughs> nothing's changed what are some second choices i'd be jimbo i'd be more on your side if you changed your label of that guy gosh he's the victim's ex-husband that's a better descriptor all right when i grow up i want to be a ghost girl so i'm sticking with ghost girl i don't care if it means i lose liz you have to choose between mine and drew's yeah, Liz, you gotta Why? go for your second choice. Because consensus matters. We're adults, kind of. 
That's how we determine a a winner. <laughs> but mine is so good. I get that we all like our answers. That's why there are answers, Liz. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, let me think. I. All right, let's just give it to the to the. Do you believe in Ghost Girl? Do you believe in Ghost Fine. Girls? Don't I was going to change to Snitch Man with a, with a no, Crab Ghost, Ghost Girl. Girl Award. Yes, I win. The Crab Man goes to Ghost Girl. Crab Ghost. Crab Ghost Man. Crab Crab Ghost Girl Man. There you go. Yeah, so th- I mean, obviously, Hoister is just one more reason why this is a strong pilot. We have a bunch of strong crab nominees, and now we're going to move into our most valuable part of the pilot. This is. Anything on or off screen? Go ahead, Drew. So um, this is a very obscure genre of humor, but I really like it when there's like two characters from different genres. Like, because it seems like Russ is very much in like a hard-boiled Southern Gothic noir, you know, detective story. And his partner, what's his partner's name again? Marty Hart. Basic Louisiana boy. Yeah, when Marty's like, what the fuck does that mean? And everybody's like, this is why we don't talk in the car anymore. No more talking in the car. Like they're just on the really, really completely different planes in some episodes. And like, I find that humor to be very, very funny. You know, like that's one of my favorite genres of humor. Like when you kind of mishmash those two things together. And so this show did it in a really, really clever and funny way. And like, I laughed a lot during this pilot, like much more so than you'd think you would laugh at the true detective pilot. But um, maybe that's my kind of humor that I enjoy. We were in a Jimbo and I were in a did, text chain. Did you actually with, laugh? Yeah, I did. I you did laughed out laugh. loud. Yes, wow. like twice when they were having those weird conversations in the car, and Woody Harrelson was just like, "The fuck does that mean?" And I was like, "That did make me laugh out loud." It's great. They're two really good actors. I didn't laugh out loud in this one. I've laughed out loud in a lot of the comedies, but but the I mean, it was funny that he's asking. Uh, cole russ cole questions and then when he answers he gets pissed off at him and tells him to shut up so like that like that's funny yeah that's very funny he did not think he would get like weird deep depressing shit and then when he did he was like i regret asking that question it's like when you ask anything on 4chan and you're like why did i do that um well you guys don't you guys don't like my high point but that's okay it's my mvp uh what about you guys i I thought i agreed with you oh okay never mind Jimbo's agreement still feels like backhanded compliments. <laughs> um, I think Can't Matthew McConaughey is oh. my. <laughs> I'm out for blood for some reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> I promise it's with love. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is my MVP. I just I feel like he killed it. He I mean he could have killed someone. I don't know. We're not there yet, but <laughs> um, I feel like he did really really well in this role. And he was like, it was uncomfortable, but like a good uncomfortable, if that makes sense. He did like two roles. They were so completely different, but linked, you know, but like, he just like, I really admired the show too, in terms of like the, I don't know if it's makeup, but just like, even his body language was so different. And then man, he had like an industrial shave. They like LASIK, like the hair off his face to make him look mega young and then they just, they probably let him hang out in Texas for a couple of old, but um, yeah, he was a very strong MVP. Nice pick. Yeah. It's amazing what long hair in a Fu Manchu can do. He had extra wrinkles too. And he looked old. He looked hardened, seasoned. That, that actually transitions well into my envy. And mine is Russ's backstory. You guys called it a fridged girl. That, uh, whatever. That's, I guess, I guess she's, she's fridgish, but. But I think the the obvious transition, there's very obviously three different Russes 
in general. You can tell that he wasn't a pessimist whose daughter died. He was a non, like an unpessimistic person, pessimistic after this this death of his daughter and end of his marriage. The Russ Cole we meet inside of the car probably wouldn't care that much about losing anyone in his life. And then you can see just how he continues to, let's say, maybe fall from grace or whatever you want to call it, where now he has a job and he drinks before noon on his days off and his days off are in the middle of the week. And you can, so I think his like storyline, but how the fridge girl kind of gives us more into his actual backstory that we don't get to see at all. I thought I'll say this Jimbo. I did get to three episodes before, you know, the game of Thrones, like just kicked true detective to the curb and the, the daughter and the exploration of the first relationship and the daughter are definitely fleshed out. But if we're judging this on pilots, as our title implies, uh, she is completely fridged. I would like to clarify once again, that I really enjoyed this show. And I would be able to forgive this plot point if there were stronger female characters in this pilot, but there are not. And therefore, she's a dead girl for the sake of a man's story. And therefore, by literary definition, she is fridged. Still my MVP. You guys cannot take my MVP from me. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. From your cold, dead, fridged hands. Yep. All right, Hoisters. Now we're going to move on to our literary analysis. And we've already kind of talked about a little bit of these i think we can maybe tie in a couple of them if we start off with is cole a suspect because we kind of liz mentioned that a little bit well i was gonna say that i i like watching it and he was like no this is this is impersonal and this when he was like explaining it kind of you know criminal mind style and then you know you see flashbacks to him when he is kind of drugged out and just clearly doesn't have you know, the same moral compass as the rest of his fellow officers. I was like, oh, it could deaths be him. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying I didn't Google the ending, so I know, but still. <laughs> that had never actually occurred to me. Really? Okay, because I thought the pilot definitely wanted us to think that, but not. But it was a subtle, very, very subtle. I, I think what the, I thought what the pilot wanted us to think with the last scene was that the two detectives had framed someone. Or that he was this, or that Russ Cole was the suspect of the second murder, that he was copycatting the person. So oh. I thought it was one of those two things. I had not considered that he was a suspect in the first one. Well, either way, I mean that's still a suspect. Yeah, but I mean, if he's a suspect in the first murder and the second murder, that makes him a serial killer. If he's a suspect that they like covered up the crime, it makes him a dirty cop. If he's a suspect for the second murder, it makes him like a potential murderer, crazy person. I it would definitely change my perception of him based on what crime they thought he committed. Yeah, so but it sounds like all three of us thought he was a suspect for at least one for of the something. Murders. Sure, yeah. Neither of the detectives, I think, were presented in like flattering lights. And that detail that I mentioned to you guys that like kind of drew attention to the show was that I went back in time, ten second it. Um, Woody Harrelson is wearing his wedding ring in the flashbacks, uh, but he's not wearing it during his present day interview. I did not notice that, but Ooh. yes, I, I've seen the show. Interesting. <laughs> interesting (laughs) spoilers but yeah i don't think either detective was presented in like a particularly flattering light i had not suspected it was as sinister as like them trying to set him up as like the suspect of the first crime that's interesting but i also think it brings i mean it's kind of a pivot in regards in regards to literary analysis but it very much brings up the idea of like we have two immensely imperfect people more or less 
detecting and casting judgment on, you know, a pretty heinous crime. But at the same time, what right do they have to do so? And that's just kind of a a weird philosophical, ethical question that humanity will never properly answer. But it's just there. (laughs) Is that a little quis custodio ipsos custodes? Yes. Can I bring in uh, one more thing about the interviews and then let's move on to maybe the ethics of law enforcement that, that I know Liz wants to. I think the interviews are really clever for the mystery as well, because but we see um, Hart's interview first, but his interview takes place six or seven days after. How do you know that? It shows the dates. Oh, I did not notice that. Hart's interview comes after Cole's. And then at one point, Hart makes a comment like, I thought you wanted to talk about the murder. And they're like, well, let's just talk about Cole first. So I, I, I thought those things were setting up that mystery that maybe Cole is a suspect. And also just his really deep, dark philosophy doesn't help make him a non-serial killer either. And then you may have, you may not know to this, but he had a few books on his, on his, his book box. And, uh, and so I, of course I paused it and read them. And one of them was on serial killer. The other one was on like investigation. One, one was about, uh, sex crimes or sexual crimes. And then there was a couple other ones that were too blurry to read. Um, that's interesting. You need that Hollywood Zoom. That Adobe editor. Okay. If you guys don't have anything to say about the interviews and the mystery, then let's let's move on to uh, to some of Liz's. Well, I was I, I kind of mentioned it a tad where it's these very imperfect human beings. Um, Ross's character obviously is he almost disregards a lot of the law, so but is also then part of law enforcement and part of law enforcement kind of investigating crimes but you see him with the prostitutes and he's clearly asking for drugs he clearly doesn't care that they're prostitutes he's clearly strung out at one point or another and then on kind of the opposite of side of that we have woody harrelson's character who may not necessarily be breaking the law but he has a lot of those like quintessential biases you would see in anything portraying the south where it's it's very very right wing it's very much like well this is obviously satanism this isn't you know something that sinister and and it's just this idea of these two people who come from wildly different worlds who have really warped worldviews that are obviously going to negatively affect how a case goes who are set to determining you know something that's clearly going to potentially destroy this small town and i think that's interesting and i mostly think it's interesting because i think it is an actual problem in law enforcement a hundred percent the philosophies of the officers right I mean, I think it's a problem with human bias and anywhere that like humans have power over other humans in terms of like their judgment that like the sure. bias creeps in. And even when it doesn't like there's a good criminal justice reform bill going through right now. But I listened to a really good podcast that explained the difference between mandatory minimums and um, sentencing guidelines. And like all of those ideas started as a way to pull away from human error, human judgment, human bias. And what it ended up creating was like a worse system where when you took the judgment away from the people that we do choose to judge, um, a lot of people got hurt because the system just was not like um, sympathetic to people who'd been screwed over by it. And then we'd taken away the power of those people. So, I mean, I kind of, I understand the conundrum from both sides. I think that when we give humans the power to judge, like they'll bring the sum total of their experiences to that judgment. But when we take away that power from other people, like people will still suffer. 
And I definitely don't think there's like an answer to it. And I'm not trying to imply any if that was construed. In in theory, both of these individuals are highly qualified for this case. They don't it's not that they don't necessarily deserve to be there. It's just a question of like, you know, that philosophical, like existential, like, well, why do you get to judge when you're this? You know, why do you get to cast that first stone kind of thing? But at the same time, there is a dead woman who is naked and has antlers on. <laughs> I think that like between the two detectives, like one is painfully self-aware of like how they're broken and why that affects them as like a judge or someone who is a detective who finds these facts and one person is completely oblivious to how broken they are like do you guys agree and yes i really well okay well who do you think is which one jimbo you think the self-aware one is russ cole yes yes i think he knows that he's broken i mean he knows that but but i think there's at least something to be said about about um marty's questioning of him jump jumping to conclusions like yeah russ cole was right that it was a prostitute but he was he was maybe a little too confident about so much like how much he knew after just being on the scene for a short amount of time i think i think there's something to be said about about what marty's character says about was there something in those books about jumping to to conclusions oh i love that scene because that's a really good example of like that that juxtaposition humor i was talking about because, like, Russ Cole is very clearly in a serial killer movie, and he's making these breakthroughs, and then Marty's, like, on an episode of Cops, where it's the real thing. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, sorry, that was just another example of, like, I love that. I thought that was great writing. Yeah, I agree. But I also I also think it, it shows that maybe Marty is a little more reasonable than than just the blue-collar Louisiana detective. I don't think he's introspective. Do you? Yeah, why not? How would you define Louisiana blue collar detective if that's not Marty? I think he's a little more educated than this than maybe a blue collar stereotype. Like like his accent, I, I think his his accent. There's a lot of stereotypes that we might push on him for. Yeah, he's he's a detective. He's definitely a smart guy. Because like when I said blue collar, I more meant it as like he is very much more like hands on, like willing or understands the his worldview is is based on his hands-on experience and less like I don't want to say book smart because it's not that book smart I I feel like I get so iffy about like stereotypes because I'm from Louisiana and obviously media has a problem with portraying people as stupid so it is kind of nice to see somebody from Louisiana in a media who is not stupid um but no I understand what you're saying now sticking up for the old boot state I try call it that boot Liz, do you want to bring up one more thing? Another literary analysis we might have is kind of the dichotomy between the two also in regards to religion, Christianity, and this idea of like every weed murder could be Satanism is is sort of a stereotype within like Southern media and Southern things. And, and so it's one of those things where uh, Russ's character obviously jumps to the conclusion of this is this is a sadistic killer. This isn't necessarily ritual, even though it looks ritual, as opposed to other cops around him. Not necessarily as much Marty, because Marty is not really willing to rule anything out. Um, but the other cops are like, oh, this is definitely like something satanic. And I think that's just an interesting difference between two ideologies, especially in regards to religion. Yeah, Lizzie, I grew up in North Carolina. So I grew up in the South and then Paradise Lost takes place um, in North Carolina too. And so that's a really good documentary, like for that point of view of like people being like Satanism, like for anything. And like, 
I think too, it even dips into like the even Marilyn Manson vibes that people got freaked out about after Columbine. For sure. And they were just like Satanism. And so like, especially when the police chief, their boss was talking about it. I was just having flashbacks of like, oh, the South (laughs) in the 90s. Oh, the South in 2010 is probably too. Internet. Okay. I get what you're saying there. What do you think, Jimbo? It just reminds me of the scene at the end. And I don't remember the guy's name exactly, but, but the governor's cousin comes in and shakes their hand. And Cole's just being a really like standoffish dick to him. And everyone else in the office is like, dude, like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, anti-Christian and blah, blah, blah. He's like, who the fuck is Eddie? And they're like, dude, Eddie's the governor of the state. <laughs> and it's just like, he just has no idea what's going on. And he obviously doesn't understand how important the whole Christian perspective is in, in that state. So I think that's, that's clearly in there. Like that was, I thought the funniest part of the pilot to kind of bring it back to humor. Sorry. Never apologize for humor. Unless you say something horrific, and then you should apologize for humor. Okay. Talking to you, Bill Maher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are talking to you, Bill Maher. Keep taking Bill Maher shots. It'll make it harder for Jimbo to edit them out. I don't care about the the Bill Maher shots. I just had to do it. Leave them all in. (laughs) It was there. It was so perfect. (laughs) It was. No, keep up the Bill Maher shots. Okay, so Hoistlers, we're going to jump into part three. Part three goes outside of the pilot. These are things related to the themes or the shows, uh, the series. This is just inviting to the stage the Stormy Daniels, dangling threads of interest, and no Stormy update this week. So, guys, where are we at in terms of our dangling threads? We can maybe start off on something we definitely almost talked about, the war on Christianity. The show kind of implies that there's a war on Christianity because one of the characters says it. And this is a real thing. I didn't quite understand how real this was but a couple of my buddies back home they may or may not be listening but they they definitely think that there is a war on christianity the the evidence that most people use is the drop in the demographics of christians and pew studies where it shows that less less people are identifying as religious and then also even things like abortion laws and gay rights movement just moving away from traditional ideas and then also there's a big concern with the drop in white American Christians now being below 50%. So all these things have created, of course, America, a war on something, which is a war on Christianity. I do want to, in, in kind of that same vein and the vein of this show, according to Pew studies, the more educated you are, the less likely you are to be religious. And I think that kind of shows part of the dichotomy between the two detectives since Russ is in theory more book educated than Marty. And obviously one of those tools of this war, Liz, is education, of course. Oh, for sure. That's that's my tool. So Jimbo, I did a little research on this because this kind of reminds me very much of a like Fox News-esque war on Christmas, wherein there seems to be like a lot of... Well, that's part of it. That's one of the battles. That's one of the battles. There's... There's also quite a bit of, well, you know, there's also quite a bit of statistical evidence that this is very much highly inflated. Uh, More than 92% of the incoming congressional class, like the people who are elected to be the leaders of the United States, 92% of them are Christian. The majority of Christians in every single state exceeds 65% in almost every single U.S. state, which means it's much higher in some places, but not that much lower in other places. Yeah, but 8%, that's a war. Uh, Jimbo, let's see, like, uh, 49 out of 50 governors are Christian. 46, or not 46, um, all 46 elected presidents have been Christian. 
Um, when you talk about like gay marriage, like that was legalized nationwide three years ago based on a Supreme Court decision, not by elected law. And so three years out of a country that's been like older than 276 years and organized school prayer was banned in 1962. So that's still only 65 years of not organized school prayer, which is still not barred, but not enforced by schools because my students this. So I do not see a war on American Christianity. I would bet that some of those demographic shifts, I would love to see them compared to Jewish and Muslim people in terms of like whether or not they're also losing their religion because you said it's kind of based on age. So my question is like, if there is a war on Christianity, is it not obvious that overwhelmingly Christians are winning? I think it's more people are scared of change and the world is changing and it's very easy to scapegoat something. Yeah, Jimbo, like I'm pretty sure I'm the only one on the podcast right now who's not Christian. I I identify as agnostic. What? To be Dude, honest. I'm pretty sure I'm not Christian. <laughs> well, okay. Were you guys raised Christian? I no. was raised Catholic. All right. I wasn't. And in every single place I've ever been, except for when I was in Indonesia, it has been overwhelmingly Christian or at least open to Christianity or hospitable to Christianity. I don't know. I don't understand how people who like have this very clear numerical advantage and kind of hospitality throughout the world and throughout human history for like the last 1600 years feel like, I don't know, there's any kind of war. I mean, there's just this like one phrase I come back to, which is, I think it's like the one about like equality feels like oppression when you're not used to it. Like everything's not Christian anymore. And like, that's okay. You know, and things aren't bound back to it. And also another thing I found was that more than 21 states have enacted versions of religious freedom or restoration acts, which means that even though, yeah, like under Obamacare and some recent national legislation, like people are getting like birth control, there are still 21 active states that are trying to restrict that and like take back, you know, the right to deny people childcare. That's the war. Like there's, I mean, there's books, people are writing books about this and it's not just like one or two kooky people. There's a lot of people writing. I mean, this is, this is actually a real thing that few people believe. And that's one of the things like, yeah, that- I bet they believe it, Jimbo. <laughs> I'm just saying it like, Jimbo, you being like, there aren't four or five kooky people. I grew up in North Carolina. I know a lot of very kooky Christian people. There's also just in the history of the world, a lot of horrible things and a lot of legislation has been written in the name of religion. I'm not saying that you don't have a right to your religion, but I am saying that if you don't believe in birth control, don't use birth control. If you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. If you don't believe in gay marriage, don't marry someone of your same sex. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like there's some things, but like, I don't know. If you put like these pieces of evidence up against the scale and scope of like American history, human history, and like religious Western history, Christianity's doing good. I'm not sure it's a war. They're doing okay. Yeah, it's fine. I don't even think they're in a skirmish. (laughs) You're like five or six generations from like any other religion approaching the majority that is Christianity or even Catholicism. And Christians, if you're losing a little bit in America, you're winning a lot in some places like China. Or in America. You're really still winning in America. Nobody's persecuting you for going to church. Yeah, go to church. You're fine. Go to church. It's okay. It's still there. You can say Merry Christmas to whoever you want. You really can. That was what I wanted to say about that. All right, Drew, lead lead us into another one. I thought that this show did a good job mixing drama with the mundanity or the day-to-day kind of boringness of like police work or work in general. Um, Liz, you missed it, but we had a 
but extended discussion about the values and identity components of work. We talked about Marvelous Miss Maisel because Maisel's husband leaves her because he thinks he's like a rat in the rat race and he deserves better. And so he has an affair with his secretary and other things. I don't know. Like we, Liz, where do you put the value of like employment and work as like a role in your life? I think my ideas of work and workplace are have changed drastically since getting sick. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because I really can only apply to jobs that have healthcare or benefits, um, which completely changes the landscape, especially within my career, which um, I don't just edit for But Why, though. I am an editor, designer, marketing person in real life, <laughs> not just online. Um, and that's traditionally a field that's a lot of freelance. That's traditionally a field that doesn't offer a lot of the stability that maybe, you know, other industries do. Um but at the same time, it's it's what I enjoy. And, and so it's a constant battle of like, do I take the office job that I may have to scrounge for and like hate for eight hours a day, but then I can afford to go to the doctor or do I freelance and just hope to all heck I don't have like a really bad flare up. And that's that's a stressful situation that I think a lot of Americans are in. And it's it's one of those things where that's just I don't know, capitalism. And it's kind of fucked up that so much of our identity is making money. Jimbo, what do you think? Because, like, it seems like Russ and Marty both find a lot of value, like, in their jobs, but they also both seem miserable. So, I mean, our argument on Miss Maisel was just kind of like that if you had a fulfilling job, you would be happy, you know? And then my Liz, what I said was just that I don't think there is, like, a job that makes you happy. I think, like, work's a four-letter word. And someone said that to me, and I was younger, and I was like, that's not true. And, like, I'm doing (laughs) my dream job, and, like, sometimes it sucks. Oh, yeah. What do you think, Jimbo? I mean, I I would disagree with your interpretation of of Marty and Russ's fulfillment with their job, but really, Maggie, um, Marty's wife, asks Russ if he likes his job, and he says something along the lines like, "No, not really." Yeah, but I mean, it seems like they both. It seems that they both. Sorry. Like I think the point is like, it's not necessarily that he likes his job, but he like part of who he is is his job. If them. I think he's probably a lot more cool with the job he has than he has long hair in the Fu Manchu. We're not there. We're at the pilot. Fair. <laughs> I mean, no, he's he has a he obviously has a different job. He's he's wearing like a some type of a what if he's undercover, Jimbo? I think it's implied he's not a cop. I think it's implied he's not a cop, but I actually thought older Russ was more unhinged and more unhappy. Like, he wasn't covering his alcoholism. He wasn't covering his vices. Like, he he gave a no-fuck attitude in that he was almost, like, passively suicidal. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what he strived to be. I mean, he said the only reason he doesn't kill himself is because he, he does he can't find, he can't constitute the, or whatever, I can't remember the exact words, but pretty much he said, like... But he was, like, no longer hiding it. He seemed... He seemed to the point where he accepted his misery and he believed it was part of him. And I don't think that's necessarily better. I got the impression that the case did it to him a little bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, mean, that's implied. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would say that, like, yes, at the dinner scene, those are his words, but not his actions. Like, the actions of both cops seems to be that they both very much care about catching the murderer and that they find importance in their job. I mean, I don't see them slacking at all. So, I mean, I would say their actions and their words don't necessarily match up. I mean, they're good at their jobs. Rusted by Quaaludes while he was on the clock, so maybe he didn't take that seriously. I don't know. I mean, he buys Quaaludes because he can't sleep at night, but... 
He's buying drugs when he's working, dude. Yeah, so he can sleep at night. I didn't actually know what quaaludes do, so that makes it more sense. Dude, they sense. make you, like, super hammered, man. Remember the, uh, Wolf on Wall Street where he, like, can't drive his car and he's, like, crawling around? Those are quaaludes. I didn't watch that movie. People took the wrong lessons from it. It left a bitter taste in my mouth. People There's lots did of take the wrong lessons from that. I still feel however I felt last time we had we almost had this discussion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Then it's then it's it's a dangling thread for another day. I thought there was gonna be more talk, but it's okay. What was the original question? Well, I mean the original question was you kind of felt like that Maisel's husband was right. You know, that like the workaday world does wear you down, that jobs are bullshit, that a lot of jobs are meaningless. Uh, but that if people, if we streamline things, if there's less bureaucracy and more meaningful jobs, people would be happier. I think that Russ and Marty have very meaningful jobs and they seem miserable as fuck. I don't know, man. I listened to the podcast that you recommended. You did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I got really mad and sent you lots of text messages during, before and after. No, during and after it. But I ended up subscribing to that podcast because I liked the host. It is NPR's Hidden Brain. I I do agree that people find don't find meaning in their jobs and that's a problem with our society more than a problem with the people or or the jobs i'll say that i think the consensus or the the conclusion we came to is that in the future we would all ask strangers what makes them happy and not what their job is and i did that and a person was weirded the fuck out oh yeah i've been doing that with everyone and most people are like uh hello i just met you it's some type of like so <laughs> I, think it's like I like it question. i stick with it nah man why why beat around the bush yeah uh one of my friends he was like online dating and he said that uh that whenever someone asks him like like he called it like small talk and, and big talk or something like that but anyways he would say like whenever someone asks him a question like what 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 do you do or where are you from or he'd be like I don't like small talk. I like big talk. Like I'm, I'm an adult. And I was like, what? You just say that to them like on your first date. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, that's a, that's a swipe left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot of second dates. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't mean to judge your friend, but, uh, Ooh, that would make me so uncomfortable as a girl. If some guy was like, I don't want to do small talk. I want to do big talk. And I'd just be like, what? Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember if that was the exact term he used or not, but yeah. Yeah. There's a nice clip somewhere, there's a nice quote where it's like, there is value in small talk. Like, there is value in engaging a stranger, giving them worse, having like something non-confrontational to talk about, and like just having like a positive experience. It's not for everyone, but like, I do think that people being condescending towards small talk, like there are people who, the job it is, is to meet you for 15 minutes and prep you for something and make you feel at ease. Like maybe it's a nurse or maybe it's a receptionist or maybe it's a talent agent or someone in the green room at like a talent agency or like a TV show thing. But like people kind of shit on small talk, but like if you can't do it, like you are kind of shut out of like some job interviews or like some industries and stuff. Straight up though, if a nurse does not know how to small talk and she's taking my blood, it makes me really anxious. Someone who gets blood work done like every six weeks. Like, t talk to me about the weather before you put that needle anywhere near me. All right, Hoist, so we're going to move into section four. This will be the fun and nonsensical part of the pilot, or sorry, of our podcast. We are going to have petard trivia followed up with our shop talk. I did have something for shop talk. I forgot to write it down. I think I may have forgotten it. Jimbo, let me ask you a question. I do not have petard trivia prepared tonight. I'm a participant. But now Zero, when he lost his title decided to put his title on the line. So does that mean as champion, I can decide whether or not this is a title bout? Sure. I'll put my title on the line. Okay. 
I appreciate that you went through I all of that this just to put your ten days ago. So did I. Yeah, I think we all were. Listen, some Wait, people Jim, didn't no, have Jimbo, power. No, you were not because you had a, you had a scheduling conflict, and then Liz's power went out. It did. I was we ready to record. I just we we were we we were lied to about the time of of a of a agreement that we agreed to. My excuse is better. I just want to put that out there. I agree. Right. Your excuse is good. My excuse yeah, one, is just honest. That's all it is. Hoisters, Drew's our champion. Drew's buzzer is going to go like this. Don't talk in the car. Good luck getting all that out. <laughs> so much. Our contender, the cat mother, his buzzer is going to go like this. Meow. I'll, I'll set to be right every time. Question number one. According to Hart, why would Cole pick a fight with the sky? Closest answer will win. <laughs> Can you repeat Don't talk the, in the question? Car. Oh, never mind. Drew. To piss off the clouds. Some stupid southern aphorism. That he's that he's stubborn. All right, that is incorrect. I will I will give a point to the closest answer. Liz, the I'm question is, according to Hart, why would Cole pick a fight with the sky? To argue. What's the answer? I feel no, confident. No, but like, but like, because he loves arguing. I'm going to give that point to Liz. The, the correct what? answer is Cole would pick a fight with the sky because he didn't like the shade of blue. What in the fuck? That is such a southern honky-tonk deep fried shit to say how's that different than my answer because he can because he wants to liz said almost the same thing i did but i had a flourish liz is gonna get that point drew your flourish was flourishing the wrong way question number two what is the significance of january 3rd in the episode the long bright dark meow liz is it the day his daughter died don't talk in the car all right uh, Liz's answer is not complete. Drew is going to come in for the steal. It's the fridge daughter's birthday. And it's also when he showed up to Marty's house drunk. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give uh, each of you a half a point. It's what? it's both. You're... It's dude. it's both, dude. It's Dora. It's the day they found Dora Lang dead, which is what Liz said. And it's his daughter's birthday. She says when she thought she found the daughter dead. Yeah, the day his daughter died and the day they found the dead girl. Okay, so Hoistlers, by the way, just to give you a visual companion, Jimbo made a face when I said fridged girl because he still doesn't like it when we said that, and that is the reason that he awarded half a point to both. No, I awarded half the point to you because you only had half of the correct answer. It's fine. I'll take my half point. All right, so we have 1.5 points with Liz and 0.5 <laughs> points for Drew, which he may he may lose quickly if he keeps up you know, the tone. Question number three. <laughs> Of the 11 producers listed in the credits, how many were women? Of the 11 uh, producers in count... Get, get out of the car. No talking to the car. Go ahead, Drew. Two. That is correct. Drew's going to get a point. So now Drew has tied it up. So question number four, why does Cole have a cross in his apartment? No talking to the car. Drew. He stares at it when he can't sleep. Meow. Liz. I was going to say he uses it for meditation. Oh fuck! That, that is, is a way better answer. He he specifically meditates on what it would be like to sacrifice himself on the crucifix. So he 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 contemplates being Jesus. <laughs> God complex much? Okay, so we are going to go into question number five, and just just to just to make things clear, 
this question is going to be worth 1.5 points, okay? Just just to make oh. sure we don't have any tiebreaker nonsense. You didn't write a tiebreaker question, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In 20 seconds, what is your response to the philosophy of pessimism you get 20 seconds to respond what is your response to the philosophy of pessimism would you like me to just briefly explain what that is i'll define pessimism for you if if you want sure okay so that's that's this is the philosophy of cole it's a philosophy that there is absolutely no meaning or value in life more or less to to generalize the philosophy that would you know take a lot more reading to fully understand liz is leading at points you should go first oh thanks okay Okay. go ahead liz Uh, I was uh, for Russ specifically. He believes there is no more meaning in life because he has lost his daughter, um, and because of it, now he cannot sleep, and he believes that he has truly become a pessimist. All right, Drew. Uh, I would say that Russ, in terms of like the philosophy of pessimism, is a faux pessimist because even though his life is taking some dark turns. Um, the ultimate pessimistic move would be that if there's no intrinsic meaning or value in life, he would kill himself, but he hasn't. He is still pushing on. So I would say that Russ wants to be a pessimist, maybe even meditates about it, but he is not, in fact, a true philosophical pessimist because he has not taken his own life and he keeps pushing forward. You know, I kind of I kind of dislike both of those answers for some reason. So I'm going to award zero points and Liz is going to go home with the petard <laughs> title. You're the worst petard trivia judge, Jimbo. You're the worst one. I don't know. That no, was I'm really not. great. No, I'm not. I... Yes, you are. I've what? listened no, to that every was great. episode. Those don't weren't the answers I was sore. looking for, man. Okay? <gasps> that was a title wrong, challenge. Jimbo. It doesn't mean they're wrong, Jimbo. It's a philosophical question about a, like, a completely subjective interpretation. So you can't be like, they're both wrong. I just want to say that there is no WWE money in the bank. So I, I'm, I hold this title. No one can take it until next week. And so the specific question was, what is your response to the philosophy of pessimism? You guys, you guys are talking about Cole. I don't care about Cole for this. I care about your response. I didn't even mention Cole. Yes. I didn't, I didn't realize that was the question. I didn't realize it was my response. Let's let's redo the question. Let's let's redo the question. I'm fine with the outcome. Okay. No, okay. Liz won, but go ahead, Liz. We I was going to say, my, my response to pessimists, see a doctor, because I feel like you might have a mental health issue, which is okay, but you should see a doctor. I'm fine defining philosophical pessimism by the fact that Russ is not a good example. So, Jimbo, I, I did it like you tell students to do it. You know, like you answer the question, you provide evidence, you interpret said evidence, and then you circle back to your claim. Drew's answer was really good, actually. Like, Thanks, like props to you, Drew. I would have given you those points. You know, if you want to run Tar Trivia next time, Liz, you I can don't. Get okay. I do not. <laughs> okay. Well, the- All right, Hoisters, if you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a little bit longer. We would like to thank once again Jake Drew for our intro outro music. Click on the link in the show notes and you can get Jake Drew to make you some intro or outro music. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow, subscribe to But Why Though, and so you can keep track on Drew and Liz's articles on But Why Though. Links to all that in the sh- in the show notes. Well, today, as of I had two articles drop, both ironically about Christmas, and I really hate Christmas. <laughs> I had half of an article drop because I wrote one with another. It's true, you did. That was fun. 
Jimbo, I, I feel like I went over the 20 seconds, 15 seconds allotted to me for uh, Bill Maher. Oh, so I went dude, up. you were way over, man. You were like 30 seconds. I knew it. I, well, I went up and I crossed out the stuff that you can get rid of. So not you 15 know. seconds worth, but that's... It's okay. I'll get in there. Here. Here's a little bit more. There's a little bit Don't more. worry. I'm not going to reference that when I edit. So it, it... You can just do what drunk Elizabeth does and stop using helping verbs. It really cuts down on your sentence length. There you go. I don't know if he had a whole lot of help, helping verbs in there, but... <laughs> I had some comma spices. Drew, you keep calling it the shop talk question. I mean, the shop talk episode. No, I wanted to have a year reflection episode where we just kind of talk about our first year of the podcast. What's okay? More just documenting our our experience for our daughters. <laughs> it is. We want to incorporate that into the opening, but the opening is like it's long. And when I say my daughter, I mean my cat. Your cat could listen to this as long in as she's years. a subscriber. Yeah, she's she's sitting next to me as we speak, so she's at least listening to my side. I hope that she like liked, rated, and reviewed. You got you got to <laughs> get her her own uh, device and and plug her in. That sounds expensive. Yeah, people do amazing things for their pets in America. I do already do amazing things for my pet. Like, she has two cat like towers. Do, what, that's what you consider amazing? Yeah, that's Keeping amazing, yeah. an animal alive. Keeping her alive. Not abusing it. That's that's the bar we're setting right now. Liz, you're going to cut off. When you play the podcast for your cat, eventually you're going to cut it off so that the cat doesn't have to hear this part. I also like, like that's the, the stoic end. philosophy. Okay, low expectations is the key to to happiness in life. Oh dear lord, I'm like overachieving central. Like that's I only know how to go 112 miles an hour. Unless you're driving on the highway, you might be depending on the highway, you might get arrested. If I'm on the autobahn, I'm good. There you go. You're all set. <laughs> Today I had. A good half a day alone to myself just in the apartment and i can't remember the last time i had like a whole half day of just solitude it was so awesome i really enjoyed it it was uh i just listened to podcasts i took my time cleaning the house it was uh it was really nice yeah to or tori had a, a lunch date with her friend last week and she was out of the house from 11 30 to 1 45 and with the, with, with the girls Oh no, Emma's Emma's in daycare. It's good for her. Oh, um, okay. so it's just <laughs> the way that was said. It's good for her. It is. Pe- you know, people and their kids have strong opinions, and I am one of those people. So, Messy and Mommy were at lunch, and so yeah, Dad was at home, and it's great. I I got like twenty five minutes of sleep and did a bunch of chores. I put the exercise bike in front of the video game console. <laughs> I drafted Zion Williamson to be on the Cavs. It's great. He dunks all the time. It's a good day. It was, well, it was a good almost two hours. Is that a sport game? Yes. Okay. I'm g- so good at sports. Ooh. So any hoisters out there that are considering having kids in a family, just, just be prepared to get so excited whenever you get like five hours of alone, like every like few months. Like I seriously cannot remember. This might this this may have been the longest stretch of solitude I've had in like maybe three months. I I also told Mo off mic one time. I was like, Mo, you want to be low key sick for like four years? Have a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is sick at some stage in this house constantly. (laughs) But yeah, go have kids. It's hard pass. (laughs) 
I'm with Cole on this one. I I think we need to um, go against our programming. The more people that want to join in and not having kids, I I have a very good friend who's part of the non non fetal consent movement, and it's based on the idea that since we don't ask for the consent of babies, yes, or like that's great. even like eggs and sperm, and that we are bringing them into this world against their will. <laughs> and by the way, if the world is fucked by twenty forty, and if like twenty ninety in America is like Mad Max, they might be pissed at us. Like. I talk to students who I teach about, like, youth voting rights movement, and I'm like, dude, Donald Trump is, like, 72, and, like, statistically speaking, he'll be dead in the next 18 years. Like, he's making decisions about our country and about the climate of the world that's going to affect you for the next 70 years. So when people, like, laugh and joke about lowering the voting age to 14, I'm like, uh, you may think 14-year-olds do dumb shit, but, like, so do 40-year-olds. I don't know. I It changed my opinion about lowering the voting age, which I think they could do. And that would like up the amount of consent that young people have. I should. I. I mean, I've been politically knowledgeable since I was a child, so I'm totes for that. But I'm also totes for anything that'll get more to do. Not that young people aren't politically active, but to feel like they matter, like their voice. Because I feel like that's like apathy is a huge problem within our political climate and within a lot of the issues we face. Is simply that sometimes it's easy to not care because it's overwhelming. Yeah, one one of the many podcasts I listened to today was talking about the gerrymandering and how it's one it's one of a few different reasons why people feel so ap- apathetic towards oh, voting. Oh, for sure. Like they they don't like their vote actually doesn't, especially in a place like North Carolina. It's also why um, the South has stayed red, um, especially if you look at you know, a lot of even this most recent midterm, you look at how close Texas went to being blue um, in their Senate race and they weren't. But but if you look at the local races, like a lot of of that downvoting went to Democrats. But then you really look at it and Republicans still have so much majority, even though more Democrats voted. And all of that is gerrymandering. Yeah. The, so the, what's interesting about that is gerrymandering's always been a thing but until recently the republicans got extremely awesome at it and mostly because of like computer programs oh yeah gerrymandering i think is should be the biggest issue of the democratic party but it's it's obviously not because it's a hard issue to understand like to explain and understand um but i think taking on gerrymandering especially in court cases um would be immensely beneficial to progressive movements well, there's 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 a huge one that's in the courts, maybe right now, or maybe it may have even already been decided on, that that is going to have a huge impact going forward. And I, Drew, might know the name of it, but I the North Carolina um, gerrymandering case about where like it was explicitly racial um, has been decided in favor or against like the Republicans who redistricted. Um, the reason it got sticky is because there was questions about whether or not. Um, it could be instituted before this past election because the decision was handed down in August and then the election was in November. And so um, they did not get their shit together early enough. What I wanted to add was that um, the nice thing about gerrymandering is that it doesn't have a lot of national traction in terms of like national politics. But I'm in one of five states that did vote on um, ballot referendums about establishing independent commissions. Um, with evenly distributed um, Republicans, Democrats, and independents who are not employed as government employees or as politicians to um, work on their um, districts for the 2020 census. 
So I, off the top of my head, I can only remember that Colorado, uh, Michigan, and Minnesota passed those laws, but two other states did too, and it's picking up um, steam as like um, a ballot initiative or as a state issue. And and it's one of those moments, like gerrymandering is very much uh, one of those issues that kind of proves the point that all politics is. Um, and I truly believe that when you look at uh, local judge elections really matter because local judge elections often shape the way legislature is enacted. Um, you're far less likely to get bullshit abortion bills when you have uh, liberal judges. And that's that's just the truth of the matter because they know, you know, there are big organizations, Planned Parenthood really being the biggest, that is going to take it to court because uh, they have the ability to. And they have every right to. They should. Uh, so it's one of those things where every local election matters. And when you vote and you vote down the ballot, you need to really, as difficult as it can be, you have to research every person you're voting for. Even if it's a, something as simple as agriculture commissioner or something. I did listen to – it was a conservative podcast, so it was definitely coming from the right. But all it did was just discuss how terrible our um, judge selection process is just by how, like, very local it is. Like, in some states, you vote for a judge every term. In some states, the governor appoints a judge. In some states, a governor appoints a judge, and then they have to be elected two more times to be appointed to, like, a lifetime position. And in some places, you run for a lifetime position. In some places, you run for, like, four years. So, like, what we ask of judges – And what we ask to be a judge, like in society, which kind of comes back to one of our, I think, literary analysis or dangling threads, um, is just kind of ridiculous in this country. Oh, yeah. There's like no consensus because everybody's state constitution is different than the next state constitution. Um, And also the other thing is like technically judges are vindictive and, you know, liberal, but they're not, quote unquote, supposed to be. And so in Texas, there were a lot of conservative judges that were voted out when people voted down ballot for Beto, who didn't win, but still those down votes, you know, affected races. Um, And but those conservative judges weren't bad judges. They weren't making ridiculous calls. They weren't necessarily like they they should not have lost their position. But because they're elected every single term, they did. And it's it's really it's really interesting. That one Houston judge who just asked juvenile offenders if they were going to murder and then release them the same day did have a disproportionate voting record to like giving like young men of color longer sentences than white kids he was a bad judge i know but just did you hear about that guy yes i did jimbo that guy didn't find a lot of like worth in his employment in his job (laughs) i'm cool you guys cool all right every day we hoistland jimbo out every day we hoistland you're out happy hoistland liz out (laughs) Yeah, my my phone's about to die. <laughs>